Hi, my name's Hudson, and I'm a geoholic. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the second meeting of Geoholics Anonymous. The first one got such positive reviews that we figured you, we're going we're gonna to try to do this every other week and cover a different topic. Tonight, our topic is UAV mapping. And just like last time, we have a great panel of uh, experts here with us this evening. I'm going to let them uh, introduce themselves here really quick. First of all, let's start with Scott. Hey, Ken, how you doing? Scott O'Hanna with Unifly Aerosolutions. Uh, been a surveyor for almost 30 years. Got into the drone game about uh, five years ago in 2015 and been developing and helping companies implement workflows and equipment. Fantastic. Thanks for being here, Scott. Mark Taylor. Hi, guys. I'm Mark Taylor with Extreme Aero Productions. I've been flying uh, since 2015, actually 2014, and do everything from movies, TVs to, um, let's call it uh, aerial data collection. I like it. Thanks, Mark, for being here. Uh, Rose. Hi, um, I am Rose Hart. I work for Stantec Consulting Inc. I've been flying drones since 2016. Um, and have been applying it for environmental monitoring, construction management, um, and surveying. Fantastic. Thanks, Rose. Jim Kroon. Uh, Jim with uh, Cooper Aerial, survey manager over there, doing their drone work and mapping. I've been doing uh, drone mapping since 2016 when the FAA came out with their Part 107 requirements. and and testing all kinds of drones and trying to come up with the right configuration and just having fun doing it. Fantastic. Thanks, Jim. Uh, Ernest Huffman. Hey, good evening, everyone. Uh, I uh, work for North Central Texas Council of Governments. We are the DFW's Metropolitan Planning Organization. I manage the aviation department and I also lead our North Texas UAS safety an integration task force where we're looking to safely integrate all drone applications into the DFW Metroplex. I don't actually fly drones though. I, I, don't, I don't fly drones, nor do I do surveying, but I help uh, guys and girls like yourself uh, get implemented into the, into the region's airspace. Hmm. Super cool, thank you, sir. And uh, finally, Zach Piper. Hello, I'm Zach with uh, Quantum Land Design and AeroView Services. At Quantum Land Design, we focus on contractor services, so that's machine control models and helping contractors with drone data. And on the AeroView Services side, we started back in 2015 with our 333, and we've been flying for mostly civil engineers and surveyors uh, since then, and also processing data for, for outside firms as they get into their own aerial flights. Awesome, awesome. So just like last time, I, uh, first of all, thank you guys all for being here. Another very respectable representation of the, you know, the various professions and technologies that utilize drone UAV tech uh, services. So thank you all for being here. And I'm really looking forward to, you know, hearing the different perspectives on a handful of topics that we have lined out for this evening. So the first one, and like I said, we're just going to kind of go one by one. Um, the first thing I want to touch on is current applications. And I know this is something that is changing all the time as far as applications of the UAV, UAS technologies go. 
but let's start with uh, with Scott. And just kind of, Scott, if you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about what you are utilizing uh, UAV and uh, the associated technologies for. Primarily what we developed uh, when I first got into it back in uh, 2014, actually it started for me in 2013, going to Costco and seeing one of these little toe joints and looking at it and going, God, how can this make my job easier? There's got to be a way this makes it easier. Further, further got into it. This is when uh, DGI was start, still coming out, uh, fairly new. Um, I got into, uh, I bought a, uh, it was a 3DR solo, and that was an open source TikTok system. And kind of went into that, went that route because it's open source, found better developers that were able to program more freely than a closed source uh, DJI program. So on the hardware side, uh, we've developed our UAV with PixHawk based system uh, using our own proprietary uh, mission planner, kind of uh, we, we uh, modernized mission planner to what our specific needs are. On the other side, we uh, developed our cloud-based processing. It's a PIX4D engine, so it's kind of like a drone deploy, but under the Unifly name. And we took out all the fat and made it geared just for surveyors, so that you know, there's not all the bells and whistles that we don't need. It's more two-dimensional, and you extrapolate your 3D dimensions for your contours. So it's an, it, we offer the end-to-end -end solution for surveyors and have simplified it as easy as possible to make it each, each step simple so that you don't have to learn a new software system. You don't have to learn a new business center. You don't have to learn a new cloud-based processing system. We try to make it as simple as possible. So that that's our model in a nutshell. Just keep it simple. You know, our industry is not getting any younger, myself included. I don't want to learn new software. That's not my goal. I've learned, you know, I've, I've spent 30 years learning. I want to have fun now. I want to go enjoy. I want to produce and I want to teach. And this is, I think, I think drones in a nutshell is going to introduce and hopefully entice the younger generations that you know it's hard to bring in right now into the industry. Hopefully it'll entice more young blood and a new influx of blood into uh, serving as an industry. Really good stuff, thanks Scott. Uh, Mark Taylor, in full transparency, I've had an opportunity to work with Mark on a couple projects and uh, he uh, is definitely one of the local experts as far as these technologies go. So Mark, uh, your turn, buddy. Um, so what was the question again? Kent, I was listening, but I was enthralled with... Um, um, just kind of uh, talk about, you know, what you're using the oh. UAVs for, you know, yeah. in a nutshell. Um, so basically, we use UAVs, primarily about 60% of our business is from construction, mapping, surveying, clients like Maricopa County Flood Control. I'm not a surveyor. I can't even spell GIS. Uh, that's why I have Ryan and Kent. Um, but we've gotten into doing a lot of heavy topo work. We fly wing trows, we fly PPK, uh, a lot of survey redundancy, um, a lot of applications for machine control, um, going into those models and, and getting that accuracy and the uh, ground truthing for the customers that we work for. And then um, we're actually working with um, a new product that we hope will make the market by August, but it's basically a, a UA version of a terrestrial scanner for hmm. replacing BIM models on actual buildings as they go up. Wow. And we're the uh, national test of the unique USA. Um, so that's the program, the airframe we're using with some new sensors that are coming out. So 
on the construction site, you know, you've got all your uh, pre-con and your grading work, and then when it goes to tilt and vertical, that's when the next evolution of the drone can really be beneficial. So that's what we're doing a lot of. And then the rest of it, if it wasn't for COVID, we would be flying for, you know, we, we actually have a contract with Red Bull and Netflix and Discovery, mm -hmm. so we're usually out flying stuff for them. But um, thank you, COVID, killing my business. Yeah, right. Yeah, same for everybody. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, Mark. Have you, uh, have you developed that UAV stake setter yet? Um, actually, it is available uh, from Israel. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's supposed to be here in August. We'll see. And uh, you and I both know uh, Brian, so he'll be the first person we're going to go to. Yeah. See if you'll awesome. buy it. Hmm? That's pretty awesome. I mean, that's really exciting stuff. That yeah. definitely takes it to the next level for sure. <clears throat> it does. Absolutely. All right, cool. Rose, your turn. Okay. Um, well, I've used drones across a variety of disciplines. Uh, initially, I was using DJI, uh, like at the Inspire, um, to do beach erosion mapping in real time. So we'd go out and fly every month um, over a beach, set out ground control points, and survey those points in with um, GPS and total station tools. Um, and then we do real-time king tide uh, flood mapping. Um, that was all in Hawaii. And then we use some thermal sensors to map the lava flow in real time and produce some maps to inform civil defense and um, provide a web tool that the community could use to basically determine if their properties were still around or not or make decisions about evacuation. Um, and then in the past couple of years, my application of the tech has changed a little bit. Um, I've mostly been using the tools for surveying. Um, so producing topos, working with the survey guys and um, setting out ground control points with static and RTK GPS. Um, and then using multispectral sensors developed by MicaSense um, to do some environmental monitoring as well. Um, that's pretty cool. Um, some utility inspection work um, with the DJI uh, ZenMuse 30 times zoom, ca zoom camera. Um, so all kinds of different things. Um, it's been cool to see where the tech takes me and the kinds of applications you can get into with it. Very cool, thank you, Rose. Uh, Mr. Kroom. Yes, well, I've been, uh, like I said, I started back in 2016. Kind of like Scott, uh, I wanted to find out how this could be used for serving. Been doing that for 45 years, so it's just another tool in the box. And uh, I, I have a, a have have an interest in aviation as a manned aircraft pilot. And so, how can I take all of this that I've learned over the years and make it work in the survey world? That's what I've been able to do. Do lots of mapping uh, for Cooper Aerial. Um, photogrammetry, do a lot of video for project sites, uh, mapping it to 2D and 3D planimetric, taking it. And so my goal was is how do I get that to a design level that engineers can use? And so that's what I've been working on for the past few years. How do I tighten it up enough to get it down to design level. And could have done it on the ground without uh, all the cool tools we have nowadays. I've you know, been around long enough that I've done mapping 
or graph paper. Don't want to go back to that, but uh, uh, that's been my goal, and I think I've achieved that and uh, got getting some really good quality out of it. That is at design level, and also you know I stepped it up to uh, meet the national mapping standards as well. That's what we do at uh, Cooper Aerial. That's what we're held to, and so you know I come up with methods to make it all work. Very good. We're going to talk about the uh, achievable accuracies here in just a minute. So thank you for that, Jim. Uh, Ernest, your turn. I know you said you don't fly drones, but I'm sure you deal with all kinds of people that are, are using them for, uh, for various applications. I, I do, Kenton. The first application that came to mind was uh, one being used by our 911 uh, district. And uh, typically they fly uh, new subdivisions and they map those for their 911 uh, operators. But what they've started to do to help public safety officials be more prepared uh, for school shootings and other uh, high in, uh, incidents is they started 3D mapping schools within our region. And, uh, and one of the things they're gonna start doing going forward is using some of the schools that have their own drone programs to fly the schools themselves. So uh, they're gonna, uh, it's gonna ensure that the public safety are gonna have a 3D image of inside schools and then they're, they're, the next evolution of that are all government buildings. Uh, so they're more prepared going forward during high incident situations. Uh, and I think we're probably the first 911 region to do something like that, but I expect it to, to, to grow exponentially around the country once they show some gains with that technology. Oh, that's so cool. I hadn't heard that uh, application. That's that's news to me, but it makes perfect sense. All right, uh, Zach, your turn, my friend. All right, my turn. So uh, we started out with a fixed wing drone flying mostly large areas for civil engineers and surveyors, uh, you know, anywhere from 100 acres up to two, 3,000. And over the last couple of years, it's evolved into actually smaller and smaller projects, I think, as, as more and more people see the the benefits of drones, the type of information we can get, they're asking for help with smaller surveys to get an up-to-date background photo. Uh, we do a lot of planometrics. That's been more and more popular as, uh, as time goes on. And we've also uh, we work with thermal imagery too. So that's kind of fun. We'll help, uh, help find roof leaks, do uh, heat loss assessments on buildings, that type of thing. That's a fairly small part of our business. Most of it's uh, volume calculations and topographic mapping. Very good. Very good. Well, I think that gives everybody a pretty good sense of uh, uh, the level of experience of the people on the panel this evening. So I appreciate you guys sharing that information. Um, a couple of you mentioned, you know, accuracy, whether it be survey grade accuracy or, you know, accuracy is a funny word and it could depend on the, the required deliverable. You know, let, let's, let's get that straight. Um, you're not always needing, you know, the Nats ass type accuracy per se, depending on what you're doing. But, um, you know, for, for, I'm a surveyor, of course. So when we're doing mapping or we're, you know, hiring out mapping to be done, we want it to be survey grade. So let's touch on that. And I'm curious, you know, what kind of results you guys have seen from the different methods you've used for control, um, and if I, if I call on you and it's not something you want to discuss, like maybe you don't think you've had enough experience in that or, you know, whatever, you know, it, or it totally respectful. So let's start with Scott. Scott, what are, what are you doing to achieve the, the best accuracy possible? 
Uh, like I said, we use our own uh, system. It's a quad-based uh, system. It's uh, made from straight-up imaging out of San Diego. They're our drone builder, and we've in integrated the Septemtrio uh, GPS on board. So that essentially is a PPK system. Um, and uh, first off, you know, a lot of guys have said PPK, RTK. Uh, it's like going to different commercial UV expos and different uh, Lions Rares uh, conventions and whatnot. Every, everybody will ask, you know, why can't we get RTK, RTK? Just to clear that, unless you're going to jump on that drone and ride like a rodeo, like a rodeo bull, there's no need for RTK. Or unless it's going to pound those hubs in the ground for you, there's no need for RTK just because of uh, signal loss issues, uh, reliability of radios, added weight to your drone. So th that was a whole area that we had to d deal with first, RTK or PPK. So we ended up going with the PPK system. Uh, and September Trio boasted that, you know, ground control is, quote, not necessary. So we tested it. And doing the PPK, we would have our confidence shots for checkpoints, uh, not using AGCPs for ground control points. And over time, we're able to dial it in. With our PPK, uh, horizontal, we get about, realistically, about two tenths, which still meets the, the ASPR standards. And then vertical, anywhere from two tenths to three tenths, which also meets the ASPR standards. And that, again, ASPR standards, I don't, no, no disrespect to any photogrammetrists, ASPR standards are great. But the bottom line is it's a certificate. Our license is what's going to be on the line. Our license is what we're going to have to defend in court. So that's where, again, you know, if you've ever been to a deposition, they basically ask everything down to if you're wearing Hanes or BBDs. Um, so with the PPK solution, I tend to lead towards that solution because of the fact that you have your ground control or your ground checkpoints that were going to be surveyed by your normal survey methods, whether you Starnet adjust them, these squares, open adjust, whatever, however you do your survey methods on the ground, you have one level of security there. PPK, when you post-process, you're going to have a, basically your error ellipse for your, uh, every photo, for every geo-reference of your photo. So that's your that's another level of security and documentation of redundancy for your photos. Run it through PIX4D, PIX4D is going to give you another report, which is going to be your quality report. So now you have three levels of proof of your results that can be felt, that can basically be held in a, dep a deposition. Um, and I know a lot of guys that are using the DJIs. Um, and I know Jim has done extensive research. I, I've, I've bought Jim, I've bought plenty of your books. So hopefully I'm paying your rent. Um, <laughs> and I've learned a lot from you. I, I, I look at Jim as a, as a peer. I mean, he's definitely a lot more advanced uh, mathematically and, and, and in theory. Uh, very knowledgeable um, and, has, and has come up with great workflows for the DJI path um, using consumer grade GPS along with GCPs. What I was, if I'm not correct, or if I'm not mistaken, Jim. Um, so that's where we, 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 we try to have as much accuracy as possible as that, that you can be redundant, reportable, and repeatable. And as long as that can be done on every job, you know, I've flown over a thousand sites. Uh, for, 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 for commercial purposes, not, 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 not including our, our testing sites, but I've flown thousands of sites on the production level and we've, we've, we've achieved our results over and over again at the same level of accuracy, whether it's flat terrain, developed terrain, shopping centers, uh, mountain sides with relief from anywhere from, you know, 2000 foot of relief from base to, to, to elevation. The, uh, the PPK method is where we go and that's how we basically prove our results and 
I can sleep at night knowing that if I do get an issue, I have all my data in my, in my, in my files that can prove what we got and how we got there. Um, that's what surveying is. I mean, if we do a boundary, they're going to want to know how you establish a boundary. If you construction stake and you have an error, you stake something at the wrong point. Well, I was working on revision 25 and they came out revision 50 and I didn't get that revision. So uh, that's, that's, that's the comfort level that we're at right now. Gotcha. Gotcha. Appreciate it. Mark, I know accuracy is something you're super passionate about. Um, why don't you share with us what you do for, uh, for proofing? So um, we, uh, we use um, GCP, uh, GPS enabled uh, maps, arrow points. You guys might be familiar with them from a company called Propella. Um, I spent six months, uh, thanks to flood control here, figuring out what was the best system. Um, had to work in locals, had to work in state plane, in cause network, out of cause network, had to be downloadable. The spec of the job was, we're tired of supercomputers, we're tired of heavy manpower, tired of the post-processing, the incredible software updates. So um, I went through everything. In fact, I have a funny story. I was sitting in a car in Las Vegas doing a night training exercise and there was a guy in the back asking me what I was doing and I was explaining what I'm explaining right now about you know, being able to convert into locals and understanding ellipsoids and geoids and da 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 da. And he's like, Oh, so you don't use Pix4D then? I'm like, No, in fact, I just canceled it out of Emory Riddle's um, UAS program. We've substituted it with Propeller. And he's like, Oh shit. I go, Why? You seem very concerned. He goes, Well, you're telling me everything my company doesn't do that I need to be doing. I work for Pix4D, I'm the national sales manager. <laughs> I was like, oh man. <laughs> and then to add insult to injury, the following week I'm doing the, um, what is it, the FLIR UAV level one thermography course. And there's two young kids constantly playing with um, uh, PIX4D and playing around with drone deploy. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? They go, more to the point, what are you doing? And I was sending a client my survey. And um, it turned out that they worked for Pix4D, and when they saw what we were using, they were like, oh, okay. Um, but in a nutshell, these arrow points, they create their own geomesh on the ground, they talk to the cause network, they upload into the system, you put in your PPK Rhinex file, you can put in your base station. We use a, um, a variety of uh, Trimble machines to burn a point if we're outside of the network. So you get a network calibration file, you get your Rhinex file, you go through the Opus process, you, we upload the imagery into Propeller, we actually take out some of the arrow points, so we always get the four corners, we always get a high point, we always get a low point. I don't care what Wingtress says about no GCPs or the other guys pimping out PPK. I, I can't stand up to Ken. Ken's gonna cut my nuts off if I sent him a survey without some real ground control, right? Um, and then we actually take out some of those error points in the model, and that's what we send back to survey or to the grade checkers to go and ground truth. And typically they'll add or take away um, a hundredth. Um, I have verified by six different engineering firms, a 2,800 acre site we did up by the Troya power plant, and that came in at nine hundredths, and that was all verified mm. as an average. Um, so that's the level of accuracy that we're getting, but, um, 
to Scott's point, um, I don't have a GPS background. I, I, I'm not a surveyor. I'm just a, a fat guy who got out of mortgages and decided he liked flying drones and got busted by the FAA who made me become a pilot and get my 333. And so, um, and I now have my flight over people waiver. But um, I rely on doing things right. I rely on the ability to have multiple safety steps so that people like Jim can't come and beat the crap out of me. <laughs> I've done everything I can to justify the process. And it wasn't until that 2,800-acre survey where I had to be on the phone with, I mean, mathematical geniuses and telling them everything that I did, and here was the processes, and here's how long the point was burnt, and it was prior to the flight and post the flight, and here's the proof, and here's the, the type of tripod I used. I mean, it was totally overboard, right? but not one of the engineers could fault the data and they got over the path, the path that I wasn't a registered Lancer there. And I kept telling them, I'm just the eye candy. I just fly the tool, but I want to make sure the data is good. So that's why I'm passionate about the accuracy because otherwise it, uh, I don't need the money just to fake something, you know? And we've actually had that on about, well, Oh yeah. Last week would be the fourth occasion where we've delivered for, um, data, for example, pre-topo, pre-bid for Lenarms, and the local engineering firm have asked me how I have changed the data to be so accurate when they oh. pull it into civil. Hmm. And I'm like, really? I'm going to sit there and geo-reference 1,100 images and change the Z by, you know, two inches? I don't know how to do that. Yeah. But, so yeah. there you go, a bit more than you probably asked for, I think, Ken. No, that's great. That's great. No, I'm glad you mentioned propeller. Uh, Rose, you've worked on some really cool mapping projects. Uh, tell us about uh, the achievable accuracies you've, you've, uh, you've seen. Sure. Um, so it's, it kind of depends based on the project, like you'd said. Um, but similar to Scott's comments, we really try to get within two tenths and um, that's usually what, what we're achieving, um, just to get that survey grade acceptable levels. Um, and in terms of like how, how we're doing checks, um, we'll usually set out ground control points and then survey those um, usually with like a static GPS and set them up and let them collect data for maybe a half hour or so, depending. Um, and then, process all of those, and then we'll usually extract a few of those points um, and then kind of do independent checks. So depending on where we are, we might do like additional linear surveys um, to try to get like different cross sections and then see how those points check out with um, like the product that we generate. Um, and so it just kind of depends on what we're doing. Um, for data processing, we use PIX4D mostly. Um, Stantec doesn't really have a generalized process or, or a standardized process, I should say, um, for how we do this. So we have a handful of pilots um, globally, um, and we all kind of do things a little bit differently. Um, so I will use PIX4D um, and then have my surveyor colleagues do some extra checks on their end. Um, and then we just kind of check each other and make sure that we're both getting similar results that we think are acceptable. Um, we have other folks that will use UAS Master, um, Agisoft, Photoscan is pretty popular in Canada. Um, so it, it just kind of depends 
Um, and then as far as what we lay out on the ground to use for our ground control um, changes also. Um, so when I was in grad school, I was starting out doing surveys on the beach um, and I was just using rebar and making an X with the rebar and duct taping it. It was very high tech. Um, and then uh, now with Stantec, we'll usually make a stencil and then spray paint it um, on the ground. Um, I was doing a project out in the uh, villages in Alaska and we were using Tyvek because the weather is so variable. Um, we'll just stake down Tyvek and then surveying a point on that and then the resolution in the imagery is good enough to hone in on those points. Um, we can get the top of the nail um, and I'm sure some of you have even seen that in your imagery. Um, it's so crisp and so good. Um, so yeah, that's, that's uh, my experience. Awesome. Thank you, Rose. Uh, Jim, you mentioned this in your kind of opening statement, uh, you know, what you're doing and the different things you've experimented with. So if you can kind of summarize um, the, the, the results that you've seen, the different methods that you've used. Summarize. That's going to be a challenge. You got uh, five minutes, my friend. <laughs> um, I have experimented a lot and put it in practice as well. I know that uh, with the, you know, when the drones first came out, everybody's now they're survey mappers. You know, the the math guys developed Pix4D and made a Shape Pro and so on. Um, I'm looking at it from a survey perspective. It's a survey tool. You know, how can I get the accuracy? So that's that was my goal to figure out how to get the accuracy because I need, you know, design engineers want everything to the hundreds. And we do a lot of stuff with the uh, uh, total stations, robots, in order to get things tighter, especially when uh, it's flat grade. Um, if it's not quite as flat, we can move into the G GPS shots for topo, develop uh, uh, 3D planimetrics. So how can I do that at that level with uh, the drone? And that's what I started doing. Uh, manned aircraft, for example, I'm just looking at my notes over here. Manned aircraft, about the best that they can get is a two and a half centimeter vertical class accuracy, which means that 95% of what they extract is at seven and a half centimeters. Uh, there is a one centimeter vertical class that the SBRS uh, uh, posts on their accuracy data. And that's three centimeters, 95% of the time. And so that was my goal. So I started placing GCPs, kind of like everybody just threw them out random, and I knew that wasn't going to work. If you remember back in the high school in your math class, when they talked about the strength of the triangle and geometry and trigonometry, that I took that to the aerial triangulation and looking at it, going, how can I strengthen that aerial triangulation? based upon the, uh, the ground GCPs. Another thing to note too is that ever how you, whatever accuracy you set your ground control points at, um, that's gonna be, your, your aerial triangulation is gonna be not quite as accurate as that when it runs through all the processes. So if you need something really tight, now you get, everybody's playing with their background. <laughs> I'm watching everybody's screen here and they're playing at the back. Anyway, if you need uh, 
stuff really tight with their uh, ground control points, you know, to do it really super tight, you'd have to do static on every one of the points. And that's just not practical. Not today's world. Everything go, go, go. So as tight as we can get aerial triangulation with uh, any kind of aerial mapping is going to be as tight or almost as tight as our GPS control or ground whatever method we use to set our ground control point. So I figured out how to uh, space those to enhance or strengthen the aerial triangulation and I've had awesome results. I've gotten lucky a few times and gotten things as tight as a centimeter but that was just pure stupid luck. Uh, two centimeters has been generally uh, and three centimeters have been, I'm talking vertical here. Horizontal is easy to get. Vertical is really what we're focusing on. And so, uh, you know, three centimeter accuracy, I can get that pretty regularly and 95% and, uh, of the time. Uh, but it, you gotta have the right number of GCPs for the particular camera that you're using. And so I've, I've used uh, metric cameras, the phase one 600, which the camera of uh, aerial triangulation from that camera is a lot nicer than it is for uh, your DJI drones, which are non-metric cameras. So it really kind of means you need more GCPs placed in the right configuration in order to get your aerial triangulation to tighten up. And that's been my experience. I've been sharing it with everybody on LinkedIn and through my books and training materials. So what I'm learning, I'm trying to help others enhance their ability to, to do it better. Awesome. Thank you, Jim. Ernest, is this well, something you want? Five minutes. No, you know, you nailed it. Perfect. Ernest, is this something you want to, you got some input on? Yeah. Um, uh, there's one application for drone use that we've been able to, um, as an organization, apply two, two plus million dollars to for our local cities, and that's accident reconstruction. And we've been able to apply it specifically to drone applications and drone use for that. Um, now, it's a job that you skin by the command. It's one that now requires a high level of detail, and now drone tech can fill that need. That's just my, my two cents. If you're looking for something else to branch into accident reconstruction or the local municipalities and helping them with the traffic issues is something that's heavily needed, especially pre-COVID. Is that something uh, that is contracted directly through like the, the individual police departments or how, how does that work for you? So it really, it really just depends on who the, the city, if the city doesn't have the police force that has a drone program, then they'll use a contractor. They can use a contractor to come out and do that kind of deal. Um, they use contractors to help them build their programs, put those accident reconstruction programs together, train their officers who do fly. They use contractors for that too. And those funds that we've been able to get them were able to be applied for that type of instruction as well. Oh, wow. Uh, another great application, no doubt. I appreciate that. Can I chime in real quick, Kent? Uh, yeah, who's hey, that? Scott. Yeah, Scott, Scott. go for it. Yeah, yeah. On Ernest, on the collision investigation, I'm, I'm, a, collision, I'm a collision reconstructionist for hmm. a major department. And the only problem with that is, I don't know about in Texas, but in California, is the photos have to be of evidentiary value. So that causes some issues. Uh, but it's a, great, it's, a, it's a great niche to be into. Uh, if you can get into it, 
contact me. I'll let you guys know. Fantastic. Appreciate that as well. All right, Zach, you're up, my friend. What, uh, tell us about the accuracies you've been able to achieve. All right. Well, probably sound like a little bit of an echo here, but I'd That's say okay. around that, that two-tenths accuracy that, that everyone else has achieved or, or a little bit better. Um, we work with a lot of new drone users. So for most of them, we suggest they start out with, you know, standard ground control. Make sure you get the sight boxed in, the high and the low points on the site. Keeps it fairly simple and uh, have a lot of arbitrary control systems too at quarries and mines or even, even small construction sites. So it, it makes it easy to, to get the drone data into the right coordinate system for them so it matches you know, any data from the engineers or that the contractor might generate later. Um, but with good quality photos and good ground control at, at two tenths or a little better accuracy hasn't, hasn't been much of an issue. Uh, it's important to have good photos too. A lot of people forget that. But like a few people said, you can't be any more accurate than your, uh, than your ground control. So on some of our projects where the, the drone data will be tied into laser scans, like on, uh, on plants, in uh, industrial facilities, uh, a lot of times they'll run that ground control with a level loop and, and get it tied in a lot tighter and it'll match up with the drones or the, the Faro scans quite a bit better, the laser scanners. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. You know, it's really interesting. You know, you, you all made really good points and I think there's definitely a common commonality there about, you know, plus or minus that, you know, one to two tenths, what have you. And the way you guys go about it to achieve those accuracies is just a little bit different in, in some cases, you know, so there's, there's different ways to get to, you know, where we want to be with the accuracy of the deliverables that, that we're, uh, that we're preparing. So really good stuff. I appreciate that. Um, something that's been brought up, you know, a lot of, a lot of talk in over the last couple of years about like, you know, deregulating surveying and stuff like that. You know, those are, those are scary topics to talk, talk about. But, and I know, you know, Scott, you're in California. Uh, Zach, you're where? Iowa. We're in Iowa. Iowa. Yep. Ernest, you're in Texas. Mark, you're here in Arizona. So, you know, we, we kind of got, I guess, the western half, half of the country, you know, somewhat. Well, and of course, rose up in Alaska. Um, for, for you guys that are, are using the technology in, in your states, I'm curious, is there any... Is there any, you know, written regulations that apply specifically to UAV use for commercial purposes or any state statutes that have been created? I think that that type of regulation is maybe it's, it's falling. It's, it's, it has fallen behind. It hasn't really caught up to the technology, but I'm just curious if there's uh, anything like that in the states that you work in. And Scott, go ahead. Uh, in California, from what I've, I've heard and what I've seen, most of it is done by our section 8726, which defines surveying as what we do, defining and mapping uh, a, pro a property uh, and actually putting numbers and values to a survey. That it means you're a surveyor. So when you have a, it, let me backtrack to when, when this industry was young, back in 2015, when drones were, were taking pictures, surveying and mapping became a term that wasn't cohesive. It, was, it wasn't what we do and how we define surveying and mapping. All of a sudden you have these surveying and mappers that come out of the woodwork. And when you ask them about accuracies, they have no clue. So as far as I know, uh, you know, our state board is inundated as it is with other issues. Um, and I, haven't, I personally haven't kept up with enforcement and what is being done to enforce the fact unless um, 
I hate to say the word tattle, but more or less if we see someone that's not doing uh, work to our level, uh, they shouldn't be in, they shouldn't be mapping. Uh, someone that goes to Best Buy and buys a DGI and, and, and has a cloud version of Fix 4D, excuse my French, but get the hell out of my business. You know, you're not, you're not gonna take my work for a subpar quality product that you might get to, let's say the garage surveyor that might be working shady also, and it comes time to development. Now this architect engineer's like got a bunch of crappy data that's could junk in, junk out, and just to save a few bucks. Um, this is a new tool. You know, er everybody has their standardized way of doing things. And whether it's the GCP method, PPK, and that's the key. As long as you have a standardized, provable method that you can repeat, you can prove, now you're surveying. Uh, you don't have to be a surveyor, uh, but it's like a photogrammetrist back doing photogrammetry back on, you know, using Atlas and, and, and uh, flatbed uh, plotters. Photogrammetrists had these huge stereo plotters, but they weren't surveyors, but they still produced good data that would, would provide to the surveyor. Uh, they, were at, they were held at the national mapping standard, you know, using that technology at the time. They still they were. They still are. ASCAR, still, you still have to have a standard. But, you know, uh, we, I know when I used to get my aerials, I would rely on my photogrammetrist giving me good data because they were reliable and I'd still check it. Problem with drones now, it's, it's, it's like when GPS first came out, it's black box technology. And unless you understand what the technology is doing, if you just push a button and go, hey, I got results. If you can't quantify those results, it's a bunch of crap. Uh, and you know, uh, if I it, personally, uh, I have not come across any shady UAV companies doing anything, but if I do, I have no problem notifying the board to let them know, you know, either step up, you know, I got, I got to pay my ENO insurance. I got to pay my employees. I got to pay my liability. I have, I have all my, all my licenses in place and I do everything by the book. Now, if someone's going to come in there and, and bid $200 to go fly something and they're just going to produce a cult map that you can't substantiate, I would be more than happy to let the board go after them. And that's, that's, that's my personal thought about it. Um, like I said, I, I haven't seen any enforcement on our quarterly newsletter. I haven't seen any UAV companies that have actually been uh, pursued by the board, mm. but I, I, it's, it's, it's gonna be coming soon, especially now everybody has a lot of time on their hands with COVID mm. and their home. Everybody's got a lot of time to burn right now. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. There's a lot of uh, educating the client that has to go on, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, Mark, you have an opinion on this? <clears throat> Microphone. Hey, Mark, I think you're on mute. <laughs> <laughs> go for it. Um, yeah, I don't. I think everyone's really touched on the same point. I mean, Scott's very eloquent and, you know, maintaining the standards. I do take umbrage with the Best Buy comment, dude, because I buy all my drones from Best Buy. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. um, I go out and get that job, swing by the local Best Buy. I'm all good, mate. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's just challenging because as an outsider, I get a lot of, challenges from engineering firms and surveyors. Um, but at the same time, we're just a tool. Um, but there's no, um, there's no veracity, there's no teeth to your organization. There's no 
with surveys, if you want to fly for a survey, like the whole aerial data collection thing we Kent and I have talked about before, you can't shut me down because the drone's taken imagery. So for me, I have to prove that I've done everything and above to make sure that the data is valid. Um, to Scott's point about the guy going to Best Buy and drive, buying a drone, I actually get pissed off when I'm on a job site and they've got survey crews out there who aren't licensed. And they're pushing a button. So there's, but there's federally sanctioned legislation for that. The surveys to protect the industry and to help with the adoption and the progression of the industry, they need to find some way in Washington to make a unilateral uniform survey standard for drones, at least a minimum workflow that is, has some fining uh, prosecutorial application, but I, I don't know if that'll ever happen. That's the only way to legitimize the industry and to stop the best buy guys, the best buy boys, as I call them, BBBs, um, just going out and doing a bad job and damaging survey, right? So that's about all I got on the subject, but I'm, I'm in agreement with everybody else. Yeah, no, good stuff. Rose, you got anything to add? Okay, let me make sure my mic's on. Um, yeah, so before... Coming to Alaska, I was working in Hawaii, and um, yeah, any work being done that's producing an elevation or a topo or some kind of plans where a drone was used to basically extract and produce those data, um, it has to be signed off by a licensed surveyor. Um, now, the enforcement of that um, is kind of problematic still, um, and I know that there are some companies in Hawaii that are doing this work. Um, and they have to sub out a surveyor to review their work and sign off on it. <laughs> Fortunately, working for a company like Stantec, um, we can do the drone work and have somebody like myself who's not a surveyor but knows a little bit um, to be able to do the work that needs to be done for my survey team to then review, check the control points, and sign off um, on the final product. Um, same thing in Hawaii, or same thing, sorry, not Hawaii, same thing in Alaska. Um, you know, a licensed surveyor has to sign off on the final product. So, you know, if you're just Joe Schmo flying a drone, right on, but where's the QAQC for that? You've got to have the surveyor come in and make sure that it's all good um, and that you're providing something that's quality and reliable, um, defendable, and, you know, kind of like Scott had said earlier too, repeatable. You want all of those things to check off. Um, and that's not something that, you know, your friend can just do because he has a drone and knows how to fly it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's definitely um, some limbo with the actual enforcement of that, though, that I think um, definitely needs some improvement on in the industry. Gotcha. Uh, I know for aerial mapping side of things, it's been around forever, manned aircraft, film, now digital. Not every state regulates that, or or do you have to have a uh, licensed surveyor oversee that? I know Arizona does, but not every state does. And I hear Alaska does. That's kind of cool. But there's a lot of mapping that's gone on over the years that's not has only been handled by uh, like certified photogrammetrists, people that are trained in that respect. The drone thing just kind of like opened it up for everybody to go out and 
say they're a mapper and they're really not. They don't understand all the you know the mathematics behind it, all the accuracy behind it, and mm -hmm. they're really doing a disservice to the public. You got anything else to add, Jim? No, that's it. All right, Ernest. <clears throat> Uh, I don't. I don't know any, of any survey surveyor specific uh, laws or regulations here in the state of Texas, but the Texas state privacy laws have been very prohibitive to the the drone, the mapping industry here. Um, one of the main statutes in there say if you're going to take an image of a privately owned property, you got to get that owner's permission to to have that image, and that that slows down a lot of the workflows here in Texas. And I'm sure that would impact a lot of you guys' jobs as well, unless uh, uh, here when you're in Texas. Actually, Ernest, it's an FAA regulation, believe it or not. Oh, so that mirrors FAA regulations too? Yeah, so they, whenever we go and do real estate shoots, um, in order to be compliant with the FAA, we have to get the owner of the property that we're filming. Uh, we have to, it's called our Schedule C in our contract. And then we also, um, in order to be out in public, we do local jobs or state jobs, we have to have invasion of privacy insurance as well. So for us, it's four million. Um, because an FAA, even if you're absolved from the FAA of a privacy violation or an infraction, it's still a $7,500 nuisance fine that you'll have to pay, even though you're absolved. So the privacy insurance for us is if someone calls the FISDO, Flight Standard District Office, um, <clears throat> then the insurance kicks in and just pays it. And we've had one, one disturbed neighbor and they actually dropped it and the FAA gave us an educational letter and a thank you um, because the client was complaining we were flying over their property from half a mile away and we never even left two houses. <laughs> so, um, but we still had to go through the process. Okay. FAA regulation. Thanks so much for education. Yeah. Wow. So much to this stuff. Uh, Zach, anything to add? I know you're going first next time, buddy. All right. Be careful. Right. But uh, no, I'm not aware of any state specific uh, drone laws as it you know, regards to surveying. I mean, the, the surveying laws apply to everything that's involved with it uh, from, from my understanding. And as some people mentioned earlier, some of the kind of poor practitioners of drone surveying, the, the Best Buy boys, a lot of them have, have kind of washed out over the last couple of years, I think. And, and I feel like uh, engineering firms and, and surveyors have picked up drone surveying on their own, have helped make it a little more legitimate with the check shots and understanding PPK and understanding ground control. And, and we always make it real clear what they can expect out of the drone data. So. If they need tight pavement tie-ins, you know, we tell them you need to you need to get the robot out and shoot that. You know, we can't get that from the drone data. It won't be as accurate as you expect. Or storm sewer flow lines, inlets, that type of thing. You know, those need to get hard shots on them. And you know, your surveyors and engineers understand that, and, and you know, take care of business there, whether there's regulations or not. Um, the people that were, were over-promising or delivering poor data, a lot of them have disappeared in the last couple of years. But they'll keep popping up here and there. There, there are worst advertising. It, it makes it hard for for uh, you know, engineers and surveyors to try that second drone flight after they got burned on the first one. Yeah, I like they could be our best advertising too. It can be. <laughs> All right, I feel like I'm doing a fantasy football draft. So Zach, you're first on this next topic. All right, um, we got. Yeah, Ernest mentioned privacy concerns and obviously there's safety concerns. I'm curious what you guys are doing as far as maybe uh, you know different things you have in place or different. You know, protocols as it pertains to 
you know, safety and, and privacy. So Zach, why don't you go ahead and go first with that one? Okay, we're not out flying a lot of public areas on our own flights, and a lot of the data, actually most of the data we process now comes from outside firms that, you know, handle that with their own procedures. But uh, we really haven't had many issues with that. Uh, you know, at the large industrial plants, they're always pretty picky on privacy. They want to know what you're doing with the drone data. Sometimes they'll want to see the photos, see what kind of data you're capturing. And, and once they understand the, the benefits of it, you know, they usually, you know, step back and, and understand you're there to help them. You're not there to copy their industrial process or, or take pictures of the neighbors. Um, we obviously try to stay away from neighborhoods and then flying over areas we're not supposed to. Uh, and frankly, we've turned down, you know, plenty of jobs over the last few years that you know, required us to, I guess, potentially invade privacy or, or fly over areas that, you know, we felt were unsafe or, or just weren't worth the risk to us. Yep. Yep. Really good. Appreciate that. Ernest, I know this is something you are very passionate about. Go ahead. Yeah, so one of the main things we're doing from a task force perspective around safety and privacy concerns is we're trying to we've, we've been we've been working on an amendment to state uh, Texas privacy laws to add an exception under the we have a critical we have a critical infrastructure list facility and I have no fly zones over them. We're working to get military facilities added to that list. We have quite a number of high, uh, high visibility military facilities in our region that we want to make sure that folks aren't flying their drones around and we want to be able to enforce that. So we're working on a bill to do that. And that's one of the things we do on the task force level as well. Awesome. Thank you for that. Jim, how about you? I, I follow you on uh, LinkedIn. So you have your daughters out there with you and stuff. What are you guys doing as far as uh, safety and privacy concerns go? How are you addressing them? Yes, we are. Um, you know, we fly everything per FAA. Arizona currently doesn't have any privacy laws in, in on the on the books. Uh, you can legally fly anywhere you want, except for restricted areas that are set by the FAA. And so you can even fly over parks and stuff like that as long as you take off outside the park. It's just kind of, you're just kind of playing, playing, uh, I don't know what the Anyway, uh, over the past four years, five years, I've only had maybe three or four people come up and get in my face that were concerned about it. I think that kind of going away now that drones are just, everybody's kind of just getting used to them. And I haven't had any issues as of late. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I explained doing mapping, you know, just this week I was out. And it was more curiosity than it was them getting in my face, but they were curious what I was doing. So I'm just doing some mapping, you know. And so uh, once you kind of satisfy their curiosity, they kind of move on. But uh, what's going to happen in the future? I think a remote ID is going to help in some ways and maybe harm in other ways. I mean, I, I'm kind of mixed feelings on it. What I do kind of laugh at is, you know, back when I fly a manned aircraft, I flew over everybody's house. It's no big deal, okay, because everybody's kind of used to it. The drones, you know, you fly over, you're, you're a little bit lower, but you, unless you're like 20 feet away from them, you're not going to pick up any good solid uh, uh, resolution on anybody's face. So it's just hysteria and people not really knowing what's going on. And I have shown some of them. I said, well, here's a video. I can't even tell who you are in the video. You know, so I think it's relaxing from my perspective in any way. 
and I think it will just continue to relax, and people won't be quite as paranoid about. It. They got to show up in the movies more. <laughs> yeah, right. Yep, yep. Good point. Thanks for that, Rose. I know you've got a story or two. Um, what are what are what are you guys? What have you implemented as far as uh, safety and and privacy goes? Um, well, with Stantec, um, we'll usually do, to the best of our ability, uh, a site inspection. Um, if we can go there first um, to make sure, like any vertical, horizontal hazards, any traffic hazards, pedestrian hazards, and then um, figure out how we're going to mitigate any of those hazards. And then um, if there's anything that's a red flag with the Part 107 rules and we need to go for a waiver or get certain authorizations from the military or uh, FAA or ATC, um, then we go ahead and do that, do that, follow those procedures. Um, and then, you know, if something does go wrong, we have certain safety protocols that we follow to try to avoid, you know, damage to people and property um, and environment as much as possible. Um, uh, I had done a lot more work while I was in grad school that had, issues surrounding privacy a little bit more than my experience working with Stantec. Um, and so I can speak to that a little bit. Um, uh, a lot of the work that I was doing was looking at sea level rise and coastal erosion vulnerability to certain communities um, on Hawaii Island. And oftentimes that meant that we would be flying a drone over people's properties, um, over beaches that people often enjoy recreating at. And so, um, there were several procedures that had to take place, like going to the state parks and recreation office and communicating with them what we would be doing um, and get approvals from them to do certain work. Um, of course, getting approvals with the FAA, getting a certificate of waiver to fly um, over people in certain areas. Um, and then I, before I had started to do the work at any of my sites, um, I would do like a big kind of talk story social um, try to figure out who the leader in the community was um, and then see if they can round up as much people as possible. I like made flyers um, and then try to round up as much people as possible and talk about, okay, here's what I'm trying to do. This is the purpose. Hopefully this will help your community. Um, but if you have questions, comments, concerns, let's talk about this um, and figure out resolutions to any of these concerns that you have um, and try to get them engaged and have kind of some sort of ownership in it. Um, and I think that was really helpful in easing some tensions and concerns over privacy. Um, I also go out of my way, even today on certain sites, um, make little signs that say, caution, drone survey happening today from this time to this time, questions, contact, and then I'll have my number or my supervisor's phone number, somebody that they can contact easily and be like, hey, what's going on here? <laughs> and so that is my experience in a nutshell with concerns over privacy and, and safety. Awesome. Or that I could talk about if, if you have questions later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Scott, how about you? You know, you're working with some police departments, it sounds like. I'm sure you have uh, a little different perspective on this. Uh, I like going last. Everybody covers everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> As far as I mean, everybody's pretty much covered as far as their check, you know, checking off their uh, their list as far as what goes on. Um, from our standpoint, uh, if I've ever encountered it, just in the public, if I encounter the public, I'm very, I'm transparent. I tell them what I'm doing. I show them, I show them my ground control station. I go here, here, take a look, you know. And 
for me, it's kind of a deterrent because by the time I, I communicate with them, my drone is still doing its pattern back and forth. <laughs> by the time my communication is done, here it comes. Say, hey, watch it land, you know, and they get ooh-ahed about it. And I try to establish a rapport. Uh, I haven't had anybody that's been in my face about it. Um, I've had a couple um, I've had a couple law enforcement, I've had a couple sites where law enforcement were called because we were up against an elementary school. Um, and it's just a matter of talking to them. Uh, of, of course, being a part of my job, uh, I was able to talk on their level of what uh, was going on. And the reality is, at least in California, Southern California, our airspace is, is highly impacted. Hmm. Um, it's, it, you know, it, to, fly, to fly is, is, is it's like flying a landmine. Uh, but the reality is most, at least in California, most law enforcement agencies are not familiar with the UAV policy. Uh, they're just going to say that they got a radio call of trespass. And we usually say that, you know, we're not violating anybody's reasonable expectation of privacy. We're not fixating on one point and, and taking pictures. We're doing a mapping project. As long as you explain it to them, they're okay with it. And then they're going to articulate that to whoever made, generated the radio call. And by the time it's all said and done, you're, you're at least for me, my mapping, my mapping mission is done. Uh, I mean, Rose goes to an extent of doing public communication outreach, which is awesome. Uh, I had a, a situation where we were up against a school, an elementary school. I talked to the principal and invited the students to come out. And I wanted to turn it into a learning experience. And that actually turned out really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of, you know, the kids really loved it. Uh, you know, you show them the drone, you show them your total station, how it follows you. And it, 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 granted, it took some time out of my field time. But it was a community interaction that was really positive and that that interaction will hopefully help other school districts and agencies along. Um, as far as safety, we're trying to do a parachute system, but again, that's added weight, added issues. Uh, that's more of a system, systems issue that uh, our systems guys are working with. Uh, with a rotary, you lose power, you're a brick. That's all it is. You can only, all you can do is mitigate your fly paths. You can just mitigate your flight path to go over areas that are going to be the paths of least resistance, that, that can be the most safe paths that you can go. Um, that's pretty much what the protocol you can go on. Again, it's just a matter of how you document it, uh, what you're doing. And if the FAA does want to report, you have to articulate what you're thinking and what your thoughts were. Um, that's what I'll have. Yeah, no, all good stuff. All good stuff. All right. We're about ready to wrap this up, kind of coming to the end here. You guys have done awesome. Let's go back to Zach um, in 30 seconds or less on this one. What are, you, uh, what, are you, what are you seeing as the next big thing as it relates to uh, you know, UAV technologies? I think beyond line of sight will open up a lot of opportunities. Uh, that's one of the biggest restrictions now is, is keeping the drone within line of sight. So I, I think that'll open up larger area flights, larger area surveys, uh, a lot of work on you know, linear corridors with, with roadways and, and power lines, that type of work. I think that's, uh, that's the next big thing. And you know, once, once the FAA opens that up, you know, that's, that's all within the capabilities of the current technology out there. So I, I think that'll happen pretty fast and be a big, uh, big movement in the industry. Awesome, thank you for that. Ernest. Um, yeah, um, he's right on. He's, I think uh, I agree with him that beyond line of sight, once that opens up, it's going to open up a lot of opportunities for you guys. And what I implore you to do, though, is continue to invest in your professionalism because that's what's going to allow you and uh, pilots within the United States to stay above the rest and to continue to do the work we need and to continue to grow the industry uh, with you continue to 
continuing to remain professional and not allowing those folks who aren't professional to do your jobs, right? Um, we need you guys, the, the professionals, to do um, to do what needs to get done so we can move on to the next thing. But having said that, I think using drones to map out uh, the, the, the lines on highways, to survey the, the, the markers on highways for automated driving, is the once beyond line of sight flying is allowed and you're allowed to fly over highway systems to do that type of work, the next big thing. Because automated vehicle um, investment by the federal government and states are way higher than drone investments. Um, we just got $30 million for our local municipalities to look into automated vehicle technologies and their road systems and evaluate their roads for such a that type of tech, I, I see that translating around the country. Wow. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. How about you, Jim? What uh, What's the next big thing you're hoping to see or foresee in the future? Flying over people and over, over moving vehicles. Mm -hmm. I see that coming. Yeah, that's a game changer for sure. Absolutely. How about you, Rose? Um, well, we've already heard it. I think beyond line of sight um, is something that we're, you know, right around the corner of being able to do. Um, but I mean, I'm also just really psyched on the different kinds of sensors that are coming up and, and their compatibility with drones, um, particularly the different multispectral sensors and um, different types of LIDAR and the tech is only getting better. And so the things that we're going to be able to see you know, beyond the naked eye, I'm, I'm really excited about that to see where that can go. Yep, absolutely. Mr. Taylor. You're on mute. <laughs> Maybe that's oh, a good man. thing. <laughs> anyway, back to Jim. I've already got those waivers, mate. So, um, and BVR, I'll ask you guys are right. Uh, we're hopefully 45 days away from final approval with a couple of systems we put in because of our work with the local uh, utilities company um, for transmission and doing the thermal part of it. Um, I really like the road idea. That's, I hadn't even thought of that because we do a lot of road mapping right now. But um, keeping within the 30 seconds or less, uh, I'm excited for the new sensors especially the terrestrial scanners and uh, you know, ground penetrating radar. Uh, that's really, really good. They're getting very small and inexpensive too. So. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. All right, Scott, I know you're in touch with uh, the cutting edge of things. What, uh, what are you foreseeing? I think Ernest hit the nail on the head uh, as far as automation. Uh, the new drones that are coming out, the new Autel Evo, the Scadio 2, the technology that's coming out with the uh, terrain sensing uh, and the mapping for the autonomy. Also, I think that in the near future, we're gonna see better, better, better battery technology that's gonna allow prolonged flights and that's gonna mesh right into the beyond, you know, uh, beyond line of sight. So I think what everybody said is valid, valid points. It's gonna all merge together and we got, uh, you know, a great future ahead of us. Um, it just, this is an aging, uh, industry you know i think uh we gotta get some new blood in, in this field can i jump in on the skydio comment yeah. yeah go for it it's junk don't spend yeah. your money. i just sold mine i had it for three weeks plus 
We're all commercial operators. It's illegal to operate it. You cannot land it or take it off without it doing autonomously. There's no way for you to fly the drone uh, inbound or um, exiting without autonomy being involved. And, you, and they, it's mainly set up for following the YouTube crowd with beacons. And they, my biggest argument with Skydio was you guys pitched us and went, have you ever flown a construction site, not a crane, get in your way. The Skydio 2 will fly around the crane and it's smart enough to return to the missing images. Be safe out there, guys. It doesn't do it. And employee haven't even figured it out yet. It's on fourth quarter. Yet the marketing guys are selling it since November last year. It's junk. Don't buy it. Read my review. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. Get me lots of money so I can buy another piece of crap. Don't buy it. I just look for mapping. It's, it's, it's the technologies there, not the actual drone itself. So the Skydio is not a mapping drone at all, by no means. Oh, it's God. not a mapping drone. <laughs> I agree. Not even a real... <laughs> video thing. All right. There you go. Good stuff. Right. Let's, uh, let's kind of go around the horn one last time and uh, I'd kind of like to get your, your brief, I guess, uh, well, as brief as you can be anyways. For anybody who's interested in, in getting into, you know, the, the drone or UAV business, whether it be for mapping or other applications, um, what's some advice you might give them? And let's go ahead and start with Scott. Best advice, uh, don't buy the snake oil. Talk to someone that knows what they're doing. Uh, th that's the one thing about the UAV community. There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of uh, resources out there. Jim's done an awesome job as far as educating through his books. Um, I, that's uh, For me, that's step one. I, I use SMMS for my, my basis of a lot of information. Uh, and just talk to people. Don't, don't go in there blind. Uh, buy Buy a cheap drone and learn how to fly it first because you have to learn how to fly it first. It's not, it's not black box, one button technology. Uh, and just learn, learn, learn. That's all. That's my best advice. Just be a sponge and absorb as much as possible. Yep. Good stuff. Uh, Mark. Um, being brief, don't become a drone pilot. We've got enough. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Oh, that's great. I like it. Uh, Rose, give it a shot. Um, yeah, uh, learn how to fly first, get comfortable with the controls, and don't feel like you have to buy the latest, greatest, best thing, you know, being marketed out there. You can do good with some pretty simple tools and still get some pretty good results, depending on what you're trying to do, and get creative with it. Awesome. Jim. Learn from an expert. You want to do it right, learn from somebody who knows how to do it. Yep. How many, I, I have no idea the answer to this, but I know there's a number of, uh, of colleges and universities that are now incorporating, uh, you know, a drone module into, their, into their, their, their education tracks. Any idea how many of those type programs are out there? I know, I know Mark, you, you teach up at uh, Emory-Riddle. Um, are, are, there, are there a ton of programs out there for people? There are, yeah. ASU has their construction campus, their engineering campus now, their ag department, their climatology department. Um, that's just ASU. I know U of A's not because my son's down there. Um, 
But at Embry-Riddle, it's the most um, desired course, which is causing Embry-Riddle a lot of frustration because the guys who are flunking out of mechanical engineering are using it as their, you know, like five-year psych degree. Um, go, go join the drone program, right? Get a job. Um, so it's kind of kind of fun, but uh, um, there it's on the education platform. It's just going gangbusters, and it's a big revenue source for everybody because of the future potential. Are there um, are there like a certificate of some sort that people can get that's recognized, whether it be you know, by state or nationally? Um, there's some programs out there. There's nothing that the FA will endorse. The closest thing to it is uh, like the FLIR thermography for UAS. I mean, that's a scientific certification, um, requires an apprenticeship, but um, the drone or UAV slash UAS degrees that are out there have been around for about five years. Um, hmm. They're nationally recognized, yeah. Um, all the technology campuses across the country are offering some form of drone program. I know um, AUVSI, I'm blanking on what the whole acronym stands for, but I know they have like different classifications for pilots that um, are used by some companies or required by some companies. I know I had some clients that required that we demonstrated that we met AUVSI standards and that kind of led me down a rabbit hole of who are these people and <laughs> I think they are. Um, but yeah, there, there are some folks that are trying to create like these standardized programs that you can get the seal of approval and, you know, put on your resume that you have this. Interesting. Yeah, Dallas County Community College Districts has the first nation approved the first Department of Labor approved apprenticeship program for professional drone pilots, where they're paying people to take this, this course over eight months. Oh, wow. Wow. And we got, we got 26 school districts in our region that had drone programs in their schools. At what level? Uh, middle, uh, starting elementary, middle, and high school levels. Oh, my gosh. Huh. That's crazy. Crazy in a good way, of course, you know, like they could like, uh, I don't know, somehow combine drones and robotics and come up with a pretty cool program, I would think. That's what they're, that's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. That's what they're doing. That is awesome. Any, anything else on, uh, on that topic, Ernest, as far as advice you might give somebody who's considering, uh, you know, taking the plunge and making the investment to, to start utilizing the technology? Yeah, I think I mentioned it earlier, just invest in being professional. Um, and, and, and taking a proper training program. Don't try to teach yourself how to do it because you're going to mess it up for everybody else if you mess up. Mm. Mm. Good point. Good point. Last but not least, Zach. All right. It, uh, we work with a lot of new users and we always try to tell them to keep it simple. Yeah, I wrote a whole blog post on it to kind of outline a, a simple process. So if they can get out with their drone, learn how to take good quality photos with good overlap and understand ground control and how to lay it out and measure it, you can get pretty good data out of a out of a fairly inexpensive, you know, a DJI type drone. And uh, also, the comment a couple people said is, is buy a cheap one and figure out how to fly it. That's uh, that's the cheapest insurance you can get. Hmm. So figure out how to fly it. Good photos, good ground control, and, and you'll get usable data out of your drone flights. Very good. 
Appreciate it. And again, thank you guys all for uh, for taking the time to be here this evening and and sharing your uh, your knowledge and wisdom and expertise. Is there anything that anybody wants to add that um, that you feel would add value to the conversation? Would you like me to chime in, or am I just here for uh, Zoom eye candy for this whole thing? You're, you're the eye candy as always. Go ahead. I knew it. Well, first of all, all that cheap heat that uh, Best Buy was getting as a former employee. <laughs> <laughs> that place is uh, it, it deserves everything you guys said. But beyond that, all the all the love for a CP and certified photogrammetrist is greatly appreciated coming from one. So I know Jim works with with a few and. I, I've talked to a few of you guys elsewhere, so that that is appreciated, and I, I definitely respect and appreciate the drones. So that's my two cents. Fantastic, thank you. Definite uh, eye candy. I'm sorry. Definite eye candy. <laughs> I knew it. He's, he's gorgeous. <laughs> from the uh, from the neck up, he is. <laughs> the rest is a mess. You guys don't want to see that. Oh, good. All right. Awesome. Well, again, thank you guys so much. Um, I'm sure our listeners are going to love this episode. And hopefully you guys will also, um, you know, uh, I consider myself a, a facilitator or whatever. And hopefully you guys will also continue to communicate amongst yourselves after this because I think there's a lot of uh, commonality amongst this group of experts that uh, can, can be beneficial to each of you. So again, thanks for everything. And thanks again for, uh, for listening to this episode of Geoholics Anonymous. This is something we're going to try to do on a uh, biweekly basis. So if anybody has interested in uh, presenting a topic or being on a panel of a future show, please send us an email at info at Thanks again, everybody. Till next time, stay safe and healthy. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks again to our friends of the program. Please be sure to check out Land Surveyors United at landsurveyorsunited.com, Unifly at unifly.aero, Bad Elf at bad-elf.com, and Parkland College at parkland.edu forward slash surveying.